Let's pray together. Uh, Dearest Jesus, would you still our souls? Would you clear our minds of the things that could distract us? Would you open our ears to hear the things that you need us to hear today about the things in our life that need to be different? Challenge and convict us to live according to your good design for us and center us on the things that have always been the same. Your faithfulness and your love and your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Uh, Somewhere near you is a Bible. Would you open it up with me to John chapter 1? And you can find that on page 886. Uh, The text we're looking at today is printed in your bulletin, but we're also going to be in Matthew chapter 11 in a few moments. So uh, grab a Bible if you would. Take out your phone. If you're following along at home, pause this video. Go grab your Bible and bring it back. And we're going to start again in John chapter 1, page 886. While you're turning there, let me ask you this question. When you think of John the Baptist, what comes to your mind? You can say something out loud. Uh, When you think of John the Baptist, what are some of the first things that come to your mind? Go ahead, just shout something out. That wasn't very helpful because I just heard at the same time. (laughs) Grasshoppers. Okay, so there's his diet. If you remember, the other gospel writers record for us what he ate. Uh, living in the wilderness, that's where he was, his location, eating locusts and wild honey. Anybody have that for breakfast for their way in today? Uh, so there's what he ate, and something else, somebody. He's in the desert, so that's where his ministry was primarily, near the Jordan River, on the other side of it often. We don't find him too much on the uh, west side of the Jordan River, uh, where Jesus spent his ministry. Uh, maybe you remember his, his wardrobe, what did he wear? Anybody remember? Camel's hair. All right, and you remember the way his life ends? He's beheaded. Right? Uh, if you fast forward from these words that we find here in John chapter 1, where his ministry begins, uh, where we find John the Baptist in the last moments of his life, his, his, the light of his life is flickering out. As he sends messengers to Jesus, after Herod uh, Antipas had thrown him into prison, uh, he, John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus, some of his followers, and he says, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? Which seems to be a strange question for John the Baptist to ask Jesus, who was his close relative. I mean, he would have known who Jesus was, you would have thought. Uh, he turns around and he says at one point, as Jesus' ministry begins years later, he looks at him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, in fact, he baptized Jesus. What is John the Baptist doing, questioning who Jesus is? Are you the one who is to come, or are, are we expecting another one? Maybe that's a question that you're asking. New to Christianity for for the first time. Maybe your first time in the church today. Uh, Maybe the circumstances in your life have caused you to ask that question all over again. And what you see and what you believe just don't seem to line up. Are you the one? Maybe that's not a question that you're asking at all today. Maybe your mind's on all kinds of other things. And whether that is your question or not, In this season of Advent, as we are looking at these opening words of John 
gospel, not John the Baptist, but John the eyewitness and the best friend of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the meaning of Christmas and the arrival of Jesus. Today, the messenger of Jesus. We're going to see two things here, because this John the Baptist, wearing camel's hair and and eating bugs and locusts and, and on his last moment of his life, questioning if Jesus is even real. I mean, what does a guy like that have anything to do with our lives today? Two things come right out of the text for us, his mission and his motto. And his mission, his purpose, has the power to give us great purpose and meaning in the things that we do. And his motto, that is his posture, and how he's oriented to Jesus. What he says about him tells us so much about his orientation to him, his posture, his mission and his motto. We might say that his purpose and his posture Let's take a look at each of these two things. First, the mission of John the Baptist. Got your Bible open. Let's look at the first two verses of the text that we have today, verses six and seven. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Let's pause right there. We have this great list. Uh, We could spend time on each one of these words that he sent from God, that he came as a witness, and the purpose of his being sent and coming as a witness is so that all might believe through him, that is, believe in God through Jesus. John the author is talking about John the Baptist, who has this great mission, this great purpose. He's the fulfillment of the prophecies. You might say, well, that's John, not me, right? I mean, sent from God? Probably, maybe, maybe not. Uh, my prophet? Probably not. I don't know, I'm certainly not a pastor. I'm here over there listening to what the pastor is saying from way up here. I mean, what you may be thinking, this is John's mission, it's not mine. Now, do you remember the words of John chapter 1, verse 14? We looked at them last week. Go down there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, John, the author, is talking to us about the historical fact that God came to dwell among us. But as we read through John's gospel, what is John also saying here, not just that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God became a human being, is more than a historical fact. It is also a present reality that God in Jesus Christ doesn't just dwell among us, that God in Jesus Christ, by virtue of your baptism, by virtue of your conversion, dwells in us. And if that's true, then everything that we do has great worth and meaning and significance. Everything that we do has purpose. Uh, Here's the way Simon Sinek talks about our purpose, our why. He's a leadership guy, one of the most famous, well-watched TED Talks in his book. Start with why he says this. Very few people can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, your core belief, why does your company exist, and why did you get out of bed this morning? Do you know your why? Because the present reality of the incarnation has changed my why. Uh, The other day, I was looking at our family calendar, and there was 
something on there uh, on a Tuesday night uh, that said, make decorations with neighbors. I didn't know what that was. My wife had put it on there, so I asked her about it, and I said, hey, what's that about? What are we doing? Are we? And she said, oh, well, that's uh, uh, Jason and Nicole, and they've invited us over, uh, and the kids, to make uh, Christmas decorations and ornaments for our neighbors. Jason and Nicole have two twins, and their uh, kids are in our son Adam's class in second grade. We see them at the bus stop every morning. Jason and Nicole both come down to the bus stop every day, which is right on our corner. I have a chance to see them every single morning. Uh, we hung out with them a couple of weeks ago. It was great, and so apparently they've decided to invite us over. And I said to Jackie, well, when is that? What are we doing? She said, well, uh, that's for me and the kids, and you're not invited. And I was kind of disappointed. And I was disappointed because I was looking forward to having an excuse to hang out with my neighbors. Uh, Jackie and I, the other night, were sitting at the kitchen table making a list of people who are going to be the special recipients of Jackie's Christmas cookies. Let me tell you what. Chocolate cookie with chocolate chips, so like double chocolate dipped in melted candy cane uh, Hershey's Kisses and then sprinkled with uh, hard candy canes that are like crumpled up. I, like the one cookie is like an entire dessert. They're amazing. So we're making a list, you know, this many for this family and they've got this many kids so we gotta add a couple more for them. Uh, you know, over 100 cookies that, that she's gonna be baking that I'm gonna be eating. Uh, it worked out good for me. And among the people on that list were some of our neighbors who we had met at Halloween. We're going house to house with the kids, uh, with Jason and Nicole too, and we were trick-or-treating with them, and uh, stopped at house after house, and meeting neighbors who stopped to talk to us, and the family would be like three houses down, and I would still be at the front door talking to the neighbors who I'd met before. It, it, it's great, and so some of these neighbors are getting guard Jackie's Christmas cookies this year. Uh, I'll be taking orders, by the way, out in the lobby if you, uh, you want to get some yourself. All right, all that to say this. Knowing my why has changed the way I interact with my neighbors. It wasn't something new to do, to go out of my way, to try to do, to be something I'm not or someone I'm not. It was something I was already doing. Give me a new lens. I didn't do that because I was a pastor or a prophet, but because I'm a person. And God has put me and our family in our neighborhood. And think about this. What if the place where you live is not just the house that you liked in the location that you preferred at the price that you could afford. But the house where you live, that you maybe moved into years ago, maybe an apartment that you just started to lease a few months ago, maybe you're there, as it says in Esther chapter 4, for such a time as this. Do you know your why? If the incarnation is not just a historical fact, but a present reality. Then the mission of God, the, he doesn't just dwell among us, that he dwells in us and works through us. The mission of God is not just for spiritually elite. It's for every ordinary person who, empowered by the Spirit, can do extraordinary things, not by being something else or going somewhere else, but by being right where you already are. Are. We see first here that the mission of John the Baptist is not just for him, but it's also for us. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light. That's his mission. Let's turn next to his motto. It's 
continue in verses 8 and 9, then we'll jump down to verse 15. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And jump down, next paragraph, verse 15. In parentheses, you see it there? John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. John says, I'm not the light, there's another light, and I'm not the message, I'm just the messenger. Jesus is before me, that's where he ranks, because he came before me. John could have said something very different. He could have said, before I came, before I was born, there was an angel who came to my father, Zechariah, and he was mute. I mean, John must have known sort of this sort of mythological origin story that was not just a myth, but it was really a a reality, a fact about the way that in the circumstances before he was born, he must have lived with some special uh, purpose or awareness, knowing that he's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40. I mean, he must have known that he was special. His parents must have told him that growing up. You know, we're not going to cut your hair. That's one of the things that comes up in Luke chapter 1. Doesn't talk about his family connections in a culture when family was everything. Doesn't say, I'm related to Jesus. That I'm one of his cousins, essentially. You remember that Mary runs to Elizabeth, his mother, when she learns that she's pregnant, she spends months with her. You know, one of the first people that she would have wanted to tell that she was pregnant with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He doesn't talk about his own family, doesn't talk about his connection to Jesus, nor does he talk about the fact that God had called them in this, this special way. Instead, what he says are things that are very different, not about him. He says, after me comes one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He says about Jesus, the gospel writers record for us, he says about Jesus, I must decrease. He must increase. Over and over and over his motto the things that he says about Jesus indicate his posture toward him a posture of humility saying he comes first I come second in a culture where family and the connections of your parents and their parents meant everything family was everything in our culture today Western culture today, the individual is everything. And this is why we're wired to resist what other people tell us that we should do. This is why we live in such a way where we wander outside the good design of our Creator who set up good boundaries for us. We call those the commandments. I mean, we're wired to put ourselves first that we might increase and the people around us might decrease. Can you say that? What John said about Jesus, can you say that about the people in your life, honestly? Can you say that about your spouse? Not just on a good day, but when it's hard to do that. She, he must increase and I must decrease. 
Kids, can you say that about your parents? Can you say that about your teachers? They must increase and I must decrease. Can you say that about your brothers and sisters in this room right now? They must increase. I must decrease. If we're honest with ourselves, at best, John is model and example. When we look at his motto, his posture toward Jesus, in reality, that's hard for us to do. We see here the mission of John the Baptist, his purpose. We see here the motto, the posture of humility that he has toward Jesus. Let's fast forward now and come full circle to the last moments of John's life in Matthew chapter 11. Turn there with me as we close here. It's page 816 in your Bible. John's in prison because he uh, preached words about Herod Antipas who had taken his half-brother's wife to be his own wife. Her name is Herodias. And in the last moments of his life, as the light of his life is flickering and about to be extinguished, it says this, John, or Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them go and tell John what you hear and see the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me look at this list you know, uh, the lame walk, the deaf hear the blind see, the dead are raised up, John must have known about these things. You know, he must have known who Jesus was, right? He was related to him, after all. And he looked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, as I said a few moments ago, he baptized Jesus himself. And he knew that Jesus was up to these things, yet he, we still find him saying, Are you the one to come who is, or should we expect another? Look at this list. How could John question that? What about you? I mean, what do you do when you don't have a list? like that. What do you do when you're waiting for test results that could confirm your worst fears? And what do you do when your loved one goes into the hospital for something routine and never comes home? Spent Sunday night in a, fam in a hospital room with a family who had just experienced the very same thing. And what do you do when you don't want to do what other people tell you you should do? How do you decrease so that others might increase? How do you trust that Jesus is the one who he says he is when you don't have a list of amazing things that he's up to to look to, when you're not sure what his purpose is? Well, what do you get? What you get is a God on a cross which is exactly what you need. And what you get is a baby in a manger. 
what you get is a God who uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And a God who uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. What you get when you don't have a list is the God that you need. Who put you first so that you might increase. Who emptied himself and made himself nothing because in your eyes, or in his eyes, you are everything. You get, when you don't have what you want, you get the one that you need, Jesus Christ, who's been crucified and risen for you, and to the degree that you see him, his mission, his pursuit of you, that you might belong to him by grace and be his own forever, and that he has given you, by virtue of your baptism, by virtue of your conversion, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who doesn't just dwell among you, but through him, the Holy Spirit and God himself works through you, right where you already are. It will make you bold when you see that he has given you himself and that he still works through you, and it will make you humble when you see that he who was everything became nothing because you are so important to him and loved by him forever. It will make you both bold and humble. We see here the mission and the motto of John the Baptist, not just for him, but for you and for me today. Amen.